And we're going to start in verse 13, and we'll finish the chapter today. Now, we started this section last week, and we'll be in it today, and then we'll be in it one more week next week. And, and, and so Paul has this extended section here that he's in, and so we've broken it up into to three sections. And, and so just a, a real quick recap, in case you weren't here last week, what Paul is, is now getting into in this letter is how do we live out the things that he's taught us, the mercies of God that, that he has uh, been telling us about from chapters 1 all the way through 11. How do we live that out? And so chapter 12 was a big shift in the letter where he says, therefore I urge you in view of God's mercies, here's how you live. And he would call the believers in Christ to live in love with a, with a type of love that is the umbrella over everything else that they do. And, and so he, he gave us some things in 12 and 13. And now in chapter 14, he really gets to the heart of the issue as to why he's writing this letter to the Romans. Because this church is having some issues. This church is having some conflict. And Paul is concerned about the unity of the church. He's concerned about unity among believers, right? And so this whole letter has really been driven by, hey, here's why you should pursue unity. And so now he's been getting at the heart. So we saw last week as we entered into chapter four, there's two groups that Paul's really addressing, uh, the strong and the weak. Now, the, the strong in, in Rome is, is apparently those who feel more free with regard to their conscience, with regard to eating certain things, and with regard to how or how they don't observe certain days, right? Those are the two things that Paul's going to address, is the strong are believers in Christ who they feel like their conscience is free to eat certain things that others don't feel like they can eat, and to um, not necessarily acknowledge one day as more holy than another, Whereas the weak in faith are those who feel their conscience is more bound by not eating certain things. They should not eat certain things. And there are certain days that they're acknowledging is more holy than the other. And so, so Paul's addressing both of these groups. Now, to be clear, they're believers. Both groups are believers. Paul is, is clearly stating that they are accepted by God, the weak in faith and the strong in faith. But he, he is, as we're going to see more and more, Paul is wanting to see everyone become what he would call the strong in faith. But he's having to address a mixed group where he's got some people who are strong in faith and they have some freedom to, to live and to practice and to eat and to not observe certain days. And then you've got those who are weaker in faith on those areas and they're not as free. And so how do you, how do you put those together? And so last week, I, I hope you, you got the message that Paul's not dealing with moral issues here. Right? These, these things that Paul's addressing are not um, sin issues in and of themselves. In other words, you can't go to the scriptures and find a spot where, where Paul is going to say, or, or anyone's going to say in the scriptures, this is black and white. This is clearly against God's character. Right? These are areas that have to do with culture. They have to do with a person's maybe background or upbringing and, and, and how sensitive they might be to some of these things. And so Paul's saying when it comes to matters then of opinion. He's concerned about the unity of the church. When it comes to matters of opinion, he's concerned about the unity of the church. Right? And so how can Paul allow for, for differing opinions on things within a congregation and still pursue unity? And what we saw last week is it depends on your motive. It depends on what's your motive. And so he would say, hey, the, those that are weak in faith, and they, they would say, hey, I'm going to observe this certain day. They're doing it in honor of the Lord. And those who are stronger in faith, and they say, I recognize that all days are from the Lord, and, and not one needs to be observed more uh, particularly holy as the other, uh, they too are doing it in honor of the Lord. And so Paul says, so whether you're eating or drinking, he would say at another point, another spot, do it all to the glory of God. And so he says, hey, if their motives are right, and they're, they're doing it for the glory of God, then matters of opinion, you can allow differences. 
and you can still uh, get along on this. And so Paul's concerned about the unity of the church. And he's still going to be concerned about the unity of the church as we get here, but he's going to now address um, those that are strong in faith. Right? So again, two groups, strong and weak. The strong feel like they have more freedom in Christ. They, they, they are able to practice and do things that the weak in faith feel more bound by. But as you can imagine, the strong in faith, the, the, the temptation is to look down upon those who are weaker in faith, who are maybe more bound. Right? And the weaker in faith, the temptation is to judge. How could you participate in something that I deem as sin and you should deem as sin, right? And so Paul has already said, hey, don't despise. If you're strong in faith, don't despise the weaker in faith, but instead welcome them. If you're weaker in faith, don't judge the strong in faith because ultimately everybody stands before the Lord to judge, right? He's, he's kind of laid that groundwork, but now he's going to come back around and he's going to address the strong in faith. How are you to use your liberties, your, your freedom on matters of opinion? And I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to do this again this week only because there are so many things now, and increasingly so, that we want to label as matters of opinion, but they're really not matters of opinion. They're black and white in the scriptures. They're not true gray areas. They're sin issues in and of themselves, right? Paul's not talking about those kind of things. He's talking about matters of opinion where one, one well-meaning, um, God-pursuing, God-loving, gospel-centered person who's studying the scriptures may come to a different conclusion after studying about what's permissible to them as another person who's doing the same study, loves the Lord just as sincerely, but their conscience is maybe more free. He's talking about those kinds of things. And we, we threw out some examples last week. I'll, I'll likely throw some more out today. But specifically to the strong, those who have freedom, what's the place of that freedom, of that liberty? And here's where I think Paul would go this morning. Practicing Christian liberty, so freedom, must be governed by love for Christians. So if I'm going to practice the liberty that I have in Christ, I've got to let that liberty and my practicing of it be governed by my love for other believers. And that's where I think Paul's going this morning. So let's take a look, Romans chapter 14, verse 13. He says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul's talking about believers interacting with believers. Okay? We've got to be clear here. This is not believers interacting with non-believers in Jesus. This is believers within the church. Paul's concerned about unity within the church. He's talking about in the way of another brother, right? Another believer in Christ. So he says to everyone, strong and weak, don't pass judgment on one another. So he's summing up what he's just concluded in the, few, the verses. Don't pass judgment. That type of judgment, that would be um, condemn, condemnation type of judgment, right? The type of judgment that God alone is reserved to have, right? The one that we're all going to stand before God and we're all going to have to give an account before God. He's saying that's not your place, believer in Christ, on matters of opinion, so don't pass judgment. Now, I'm clarifying that because Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 would tell believers in Christ when it's a sin issue, like the believers in, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, you had a guy who was uh, actively participating in sin and the church was, um, was proud of the level of sin that he was participating in and they weren't, they weren't holding him accountable. And so Paul would say there that believers in Christ, hey, if it's a non-believer that's doing this thing, we don't have any role to judge them. That, that they're outside the church, that's not our role. But he would say for believers in Christ, when it comes to sin issues, you hold one another accountable. And that's a, level, that's a type of judgment that Paul would talk about, but it's not a type of judgment that leads to condemning. 
the type of judgment that's about accountability. So as believers in Christ, let's be clear, if we claim to be believers in Christ and we are actively involved in sin or we're, we're caught up in sin, another believer in Christ is well within their right as a family member and a fellow heir of Christ to come and say to us, in love, that's sin. That goes against the word of God. That's the type of judgment that believers do have and are called to do, okay? That's not what Paul's talking about this morning. So being clear, so when Paul says, let's not pass judgment, he's saying on matters of opinion. So did you, don't don't answer, this is hypothetical. Did you like the music this morning? Some of you are gonna be like, yeah, loved it. Others are gonna be like, kind of repetitive, you know, kind of loud, maybe. Maybe, maybe I just didn't know the songs, right? And those would be matters of opinion. And many churches over the years have divided over that. And Paul would say, that's ridiculous. These are things that are matters of opinion. Maybe, maybe some people would feel like, hey, I can only sing words if they come directly from the scripture. This is a real deal, right? This is, this is a real thing in some church circle. I can only sing words of songs if they come directly from the scriptures. My conscience is bound. And other people would say, no, as long as it's gospel-centered, it's biblically-based, man, let's sing these songs, right? Amen, is that what I heard? (laughs) There's freedom, right? This would be like a matter of opinion where Paul would say, hey, let's not judge one over this. So you you like that kind of music or you prefer, you know, the Gaithers, right? I mean, so what? Let's let's work together over this and and not, not divide. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. And he says, so let's not divide any longer. But rather, instead of dividing and judging one another, let's decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of another brother. So Paul's going to address those who are free. How do you use your liberty, your freedom, or those who have a conscience that's not as bound as others? He says, you don't want that freedom to become a stumbling block or a hindrance. All right, let's keep going. Side note, Paul's going to say in verse 14, now I know... And I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So he's going back to the food example here. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, this is interesting. So Paul says, when it comes to matters of food, there's nothing unclean in and of itself. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus would say uh, something similar. He'd say, it's not what goes into your body that defiles a person but it's what comes out of it. And he would talk about how what comes out of the mouth is revealing what's in the heart. He's saying that's the kind of thing that defiles a person, but not the, the food that goes in. And then Mark helps us in Mark chapter seven, and he, there's a parenthesis there, and he says, thus he declared all foods clean, right? And, and so Paul is saying the similar thing. Hey, nothing in and of itself. He says, I'm persuaded. In fact, he says, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Now, that's important, believer, That's important because you come to a conviction on something and you say, I'm convinced that this is right. You need to be convinced in the Lord. What I think that that means, at least in part, is my reasoning process, the way I'm thinking this through, the grid and the filter that I'm I'm pushing this through, is the revealed word of God, is is the Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm filtering it through that and therefore now I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus as opposed to, well, my reasoning skills are pretty sharp and I've thought this through from all sides and I've weighed the pros and the cons and the strengths and the weaknesses and I've come to the conclusion that this is the best logical decision to make, right? Good for you, 
But that's not being convinced in the Lord Jesus. That, that's what leads to pride, that kind of, that kind of uh, reasoning and, and concluding. Now, do that. God gave us minds to do that. But when it comes to these kind of things, Paul says, I'm persuaded in the Lord. Like, I've considered these things before the Lord. I've considered the scriptures, what I know about them, and I'm convinced in the Lord that nothing in and of itself is unclean. He says, however, it is unclean if someone thinks it's unclean. So it's not that the food that Paul's talking about is unclean, right? It's that, does the person think it's unclean? He's setting this up to say, it's about what your conscience, guided by the Lord, what your conscience is free or not free to do. And so if a person, when it comes to food, let's, let's just take an example that Paul may have been dealing with. He may have been dealing with food sacrifice to idols. Okay, that's, that is the case in 1 Corinthians, where, where Paul deals with it in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. And, and so it could very likely be a possibility here. Food that was sacrificed to idols. Hard to get meat in a market in a pagan society that had not been sacrificed to idols. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, hey, um, if, if you're going through the market and you find meat, and it's available and you can buy it, buy it. Doesn't matter if it's been sacrificed to idols because Paul would say, we know there's no God but the true God. And idols are, are, are really nothing, right? And so he would say, however, if someone in the market while you're going through says, here, have this meat, I've sacrificed it to whatever their idol, then he would say, then don't eat it for the sake of their conscience, not yours, because you still know there's nothing behind that, right? But he says, for their conscience, right? So he could be dealing with this kind of situation. And he's saying, that, that food's not unclean, but if I think it's unclean, if I'm aware that that food might have been sacrificed to idols or is sacrificed to idols, and I can't get past in my conscience, in my, in my mind, by faith, I can't get past that it's been sacrificed to an idol, and I think that in eating it, I'm going to be unclean, Paul says, unto you, it's unclean. Does that make sense? It's not in unclean, unclean by itself. It, it, it's just neutral. But if you think it's unclean, Paul says it's unclean. All right? Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And so Paul gets at it right here. This is what Paul's been getting at. He, he would say in, in chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine or let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good, right? And then he would tell us all kinds of ways that this looks. Paul has been concerned about love this whole time. Chapter 13, verses 8 and forward, he would, he would really highlight what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Paul's been concerned about love for one another. And so Paul says to the strong person, the one who's more free on, on, on some of these matters, if your brother's grieved by what you eat, in other words, they see you eating this meat that they think is unclean, even though you know it's not. If that grieves them because they see you, this is important. It's not that they just heard a rumor. They see you eating it, then you're not acting in love. Because he says, by what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul uses some pretty strong language throughout these verses to describe the impact or the damage that could be caused to the weaker person. He talks about them being, uh, having stumbling blocks, having hindrances, being grieved. Um, now, those don't necessarily sound so strong because we use those in soft ways. We talk about sin, and a lot of times we'll say, I, I stumbled, which 
which may just be a way of us softening our sin instead of just calling sin what it is, sin. And so we kind of lighten it and we say, I stumbled. Well, no, I full-fledged jumped in, right? I stumbled because it was placed before me, but I chose to do, right? I think sometimes we gotta, we gotta watch our wording. But Paul says a stumbling block. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a rock that you're gonna trip over if it's placed in front of you. That's the image Paul uses, a stumbling block, right? And so he, those don't sound necessarily so serious, but when he says things like, don't destroy, later on he's gonna say, uh, they are condemned if. Paul's using some really strong language. The damage that can be done to a weaker in faith by someone who's stronger in faith, Paul says, you need to take this seriously. It, it, it could destroy them. In fact, right here he says, hey, don't let what you eat destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, Paul's not saying that a, a genuine believer in Christ, in Paul's day, they're sitting down to have their love feast where they are going to fellowship together and there's meat, and they're cutting that meat, and the, the weaker in faith sees the meat being cut, and they go, that was probably bought from the market, sacrificed to idols, right? And then he sees some of his fellow Christians around the table eat of that meat. They gave thanks to God for the food that he's provided, and then they're eating this meat, and the, the weaker in faith is watching this. Paul's not saying they all of a sudden will lose their salvation because you, they see you eat it. Paul has already told us in Romans chapter 8 that salvation is secure in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And yet here he talks very seriously about the damage that can be caused. We'll come back to it. By what you eat, Paul says, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Because now Paul's getting at this. Hey, strong person in faith, you feel liberty, you feel freedom. Part of what Paul's doing here is this. Christ died for that person. And what you're going to choose to do may have a negative impact on that person to where it leads them away from Christ in some way. That's a serious offense because now you're taking someone whom Christ has died for and he has died to secure all that they have and you're going to lead them away by your actions. That's a serious offense, right? And so Paul says, don't destroy them. He goes on in verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And what Paul's getting at here is, yes, there's freedom. He, he's already said, I'm convinced that nothing in and of itself is unclean. There's freedom. In fact, when we get to chapter 15, he's going to say, we who are strong. Paul is placing himself in this group that's strong. By the way, when Paul describes the groups, the strong and the weak, and he describes their actions, he always attributes the strong's actions of exercising their freedom and their liberty to faith, he never attributes the weak's actions of abstaining to faith. He never calls the weak's action of abstaining because of a conscience that's bound, he never calls it an act of faith. Okay, Paul's very decidedly on the side of the strong when it comes to theology, but he's saying when it comes to practicing it and the unity of the body, the strong are the ones who can give up their liberty. And that's why he says, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. It's not, not Paul's not saying um, your liberty so much or, or your freedom to eat or drink or whatever it is. He's saying, to those of you who are strong, you know and you understand the freedom that comes in Christ and your conscience is free before the Lord and you've concluded that on this matter, that is of an opinion that you are free to partake. That's good. Paul would say that's a good thing. And later he's going to bless them for that. 
But he's saying to them, don't let what you consider good. Don't let your freedom, the, the understanding that you, the right understanding that you have of the freedom that comes in Christ, don't let that cause someone else to look at the gospel and call it evil because of, of looking at you and labeling you as loose or free or licentious because you're just participating in friend, uh, uh, sin. You're lawless. He's saying, don't let your freedom, which is a good thing that comes from the gospel, don't let that be spoken of as evil. Paul's concerned about that. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And what Paul's getting at here is these freedoms, Paul's been talking about eating and drinking. Now he introduces drinking. He's talked about observing certain days. He's saying that's not the point of the kingdom. That's not the point of, 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 of why Christ came to die, to bring about the kingdom of God. That's not the point, he says. It's not about the kingdom of God. is not just so you can eat whatever you want to eat and drink whatever you want to drink. Instead, he says the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, back in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul would hit on these very same things, right? Where he would say, therefore, since we have been justified, which is being declared righteous before God, since therefore we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. And then in verse 2, he would go on and he would talk about how we can rejoice in the Lord because of the things that we have. And so he's picking up these themes that he's, he's already hit on that are results of a person being declared right before the Lord, a person being in Christ, going from being an Adam to being in Christ. You now have righteousness before God that, that is given to you because of Christ's obedience. You now have peace with God and therefore peace with one another. And then you can have joy. And he says, all of that is from the Holy Spirit. Like we don't manufacture any of this. We, we don't produce righteousness in and of ourselves. It's given to us. And it's given to us because someone else earned it on our behalf. We can't bring about true and genuine peace. We can't make ourselves be at peace with God. We are enemies of God. It was only Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that satisfied the wrath of God towards our sin so that now, now when we are in Christ by faith, we can be at peace with God. We're reconciled to God. That only comes because of what God has done in the gospel. And because we are made at peace with God, Paul is able to say we can pursue peace with one another. That comes from the Holy Spirit. And then joy. It's not just about simply being happy because things are going your way or, 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 or just uh, being a joyous type of person because it's your personality. It's about the deep-seated happiness and joy that remains constant even in the face of changing circumstances and situations. When things are going your way, when they're not, when you have plenty or when you lack what you need, there can still be joy. But that's not something I can manufacture. It's not like I can just say, got to turn on my joy switch for the day. It's the type of joy that is produced by the Spirit. He says that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about God bringing into a world impacted and infected by sin, a world that is hopeless and, and is ruled by darkness, bringing into that the light of God. 
and the light of the kingdom of the Son of God. That's what the kingdom is, bringing these kinds of things to people who are lost and hopeless and dark. That's what he says. It's not about eating or drinking. And so Paul's point is, person who's free, and he's going to tell them, enjoy your freedoms. Enjoy them. You, you, you have them. Everything that God has made is good. Right? But he's going to say, but don't let the kingdom be destroyed because of this. In other words, don't let the peace among believers in Christ be destroyed because of this. Don't insist on exercising, practicing your freedom, your liberty, and whatever this matter of opinion is, if it means it's going to be done at the expense of destroying someone else or dividing the body of Christ. Because he says, that's not the point here. The kingdom of God is about far weightier things than eating and drinking. All right? Verse 18. He goes on and he says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So if you, if you serve Christ in this way by loving someone else and, and, and you're concerned about the kingdom of God and you're not insisting on your freedoms, right? You're, 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 you know the kingdom of God is about far weightier things. He says, whoever thus serves Christ, whoever's a believer in Christ is acceptable to God because of what God has done in Christ. And approved by man. And I think what Paul's doing here is talking to the, to the strong, and he says, hey, if you will not insist on practicing your liberties in front of people who it would cause them to stumble, it would cause them to, to, to think that I too can do this, but their conscience is not with them. They're not acting in faith. If it leads someone to do that, then Paul's saying you're going to cause them to sin. But if you are willing to lay it down and not practice it, in a way that's going to cause them to stumble, then you'll also be accepted by men. I think he means the weak brothers and sisters. I think he's talking about this is how we achieve unity in the body of Christ when it comes to matters of opinion, matters of preference. The strong are the ones who have the option, right? Because the strongs are the one, the one who do not have a bound conscience. So if I'm strong in this area and I know there's freedom for me to do this and it's not sin for me to participate in this and I, and I practice it, I'm free to do that. My conscience is not bound. And because I'm free to do that, I'm also free to not do that, right? I don't have to have that freedom. I don't have to insist on practicing it. I can go either way if I'm strong in faith on this, right? But if I'm the weak person, if I'm the person who says, my conscience is bound, I don't have an option. I, I cannot freely eat or drink like the strong person is. I am bound by my conscience to abstain. So I don't have an option. I can't, I can't go one way or the other for the sake of unity. So Paul puts the sake of unity on the strong. Do, do you see what, what I'm getting at here? It's the strong person who has the freedom to either uh, practice or not practice. And so Paul says, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is how we achieve unity in the body of Christ. We don't insist on our liberties if it means it's going to cause someone else to sin. Okay, verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Again, when it comes to the body of Christ and when we gather and when we do things together, whether it's here, in the community, in your homes, there's going to be times where you're going to have people in your home or you're going to be sitting across from people somewhere or in a restaurant, whatever the case may be, and you might have a matter of opinion come up. Uh, 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 something you want to practice or you feel free to practice or to partake in that the other person feels like their conscience is bound and they even think your conscience should be bound. 
right? But it's not. There's going to be those things. And Paul says when it comes to these things, the strong is the one who has the option. They have the freedom to either practice or not practice. And so he says, let's pursue things that make for peace. Paul's concerned about the unity of the body of Christ, of the church. And then let's do what builds everybody up. Okay, verse 20, do not, he says, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Paul's going out of his way to say to the strong, your beliefs are right. Your theology is right. Everything is clean. You you are free to eat what you're eating. He's going out of his way to reaffirm the strong. You're not wrong in what you believe and how you understand things and what you're doing. He's going to clarify that constantly for him, but then he's going to come back around and say, but don't, for the sake of food, don't destroy the work of God. It's not worth it, Paul would say. He's speaking to the strong because you can do something about this. You can abstain from practicing in a way that is going to cause someone else to to sin. He says, abstain. It's it's just not worth destroying the work of God. He reminded them, everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong, he would say, to make someone else sin by what he eats. How can you make, see, the counseling brain in me says, nobody can make you do anything. I say this to my kids all the time. Where are you, kid? No, she's in the kids' area. Um, I I say, nobody makes you do anything. They didn't make you mad. That was your response to what they did, but they didn't make you mad. You chose to respond that way, right? That makes them mad, right? But, I mean, it's just, (laughs) you can't make someone eat. There's a choice that they're going to make, and they're responsible for their actions, right? But here's what Paul's getting at. If someone, keeping with Paul's example for now, if someone's eating meat that has been sacrificed to an idol, because they know idol is nothing. God is the only God. And someone else, a Christian, maybe it's a new Christian, maybe it's a Christian who comes out of a pagan background and they're not free to eat that meat. They see that strong Christian. Maybe it's a leader in the church. Maybe it's just someone who's been a believer for a while. And they, they see them eating and they say, oh, it's okay for him to eat, so I'm going to eat. But their conscience is not going to allow them to eat. In other words, they're going to eat, but they're not eating from faith. They're not eating from a position of, God has declared all things clean. There's no God but the God. They're eating because they think this is just what we can do because Christian B does that. That's going to be sin for them. But Paul said everything's clean. Yeah, but if the person eats and they're not, they've not come to that conclusion in the Lord, their faith is, is not what's driving them to eat, and they're eating, and they're, they're going to eat something that um, someone else believes is clean, but they still don't believe it's clean even in eating it, they're not operating in faith. Therefore, they're operating in sin. Therefore, they're eating something, and it will defile them because they're not convinced by faith that it's clean. And, and the person that ate freely didn't make them do that, didn't physically force feed them, but because they practiced their freedom in front of that person, that person was then led to believe that they should eat it also, and they did. And Paul says that could have been prevented. For the sake of unity, that could have been prevented. And that person who ate freely, the strong person, you are also now considered responsible for leading that person into sin. Because Paul's concerned about unity here. He's concerned about living by faith. Verse 21, he said, it's good to eat meat. I'm sorry, it's good not to eat meat. 
<laughs> I like that other one option too. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. All right? So he's reiterating, it, it's a good thing for you to abstain even though you're free if it means not causing them to sin. Verse 22. The faith that you have, he's speaking to the strong, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Here again, Paul is uh, affirming the strong in faith. He says, the faith that you have, that, that faith that, that allows you, permits you to be able to eat that food, to drink that wine, um, um, to, to, to feel like every day is, is, is equally holy before the Lord, whatever that freedom is allowing you to do, whatever that matter of opinion is where your conscience is not bound, you're not participating in sin, you're free, and you know that freedom comes from the gospel. He says, that faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Remember the context. The context is the body of Christ, believers when they gather, and practicing something that you're free to do in the sight of, in the presence of someone else who it's going to be like a rock for them to trip over. He says, just keep your freedom, your faith between you and God, which means Paul's not saying don't ever, ever, ever practice that freedom again. If, if you say uh, in this setting, I'm, I'm sitting down at this feast together and I'm, I'm going to be a vegetarian for the night. Paul's saying, you can just be a vegetarian for the night and you can go home and eat some beef jerky, right? It's not about you abstaining for the rest of your life. No, if you decide, if you decide to make a vow to be a vegetarian, then by all means, if it's done in faith, then do it, right? But it's, it's as Paul's just saying, you don't have to abstain from your freedom for the rest of your life because one person might be offended because you did it in, in, in front of them. Paul's not saying that someone else's bound conscience limits you in every area of your life. Just when you gather, just when you gather, just when it would be about uh, pursuing peace and unity in gathering. So if there's a matter of opinion or preference, let's just go back to the music for a moment, and you like to listen to Gaithers, and you don't like the, the modernized maybe music that, that you hear at church, then you know what? And, and you say, you know, Someone, someone who's more free and likes to modernize music is going to say, I'm going to go to a church that the music's all Southern gospel. This was me when I, when I went to this church in, in Sugarland for many years. They were contemporary, but not contemporary enough for me at the time. I was a college student. I was a music major. I just wasn't, I was highly critical of their music. It was good quality music. It was just like 1980s, you know, and, and I just wasn't there. And I decided to stay and, and forego the preference I had in music because of other things that were there. Now, does that mean because I decided to not, um, n- not enjoy the type of music I want to enjoy when we gather to worship that I never listen to the type of music I want to enjoy? No, I listen to the type of music I want to enjoy whenever I was in my, my car, whenever I was at home, or whatever. The, the point is, if you have to abstain from a, a freedom, a liberty that you have in Christ, you don't have to do that all the time just when you're in front of someone else. You tracking with me? That's what Paul means when he says, keep it between you and God. Just, just know your audience, know who you're around and what their sensitivities are. And if you're not sure, err on the side of love and then practice your freedoms when they're not around. Does that, does that make sense? You, you kind of tracking? It, Paul's just saying you have the freedom, just use that freedom in a way that brings peace when you're together, but enjoy that freedom later. later. Blessed, he would say, is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. And so again, Paul's talking to the strong. He's saying, hey, if you have this freedom and, and you can partake of this food and there's wine and, and whatever, 
you're blessed. He says, bless you. Enjoy it. Because you have no reason to pass judgment on yourself. Your faith is guiding you. Bless you in that. Paul is clearly an advocate for the strong. And then he would wrap it up with verse 23. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the problem that Paul's trying to address. Listen, strong in faith, you're good. You can enjoy. It's not sin for you. But you run the risk when you practice your freedoms on matters of opinion or preference in front of someone else who is not free, you run the risk of causing them to do this. They have doubt about whether it's right or not. And so they're condemned if they eat because they eat out of that doubt and they're not eating from faith. And then Paul gives this very broad sweeping statement, which is a great definition of sin, which goes far beyond the typical definition of sin, which is inadequate. And that typical definition of sin that is inadequate is what we say or do or don't do that is against God. That's only part of sin. Because that kind of definition of sin, what I say, do, or don't do, that goes against God, only gets at behaviors, actions, attitudes. Paul says, whatever is not done from faith is sin. Well, that opens the door a lot wider, doesn't it? It's a very broad statement. And so Paul says, we are to be people who live our lives by faith. And the decisions we make, we should be convinced, convicted, assured in the Lord that we are free to do those things Otherwise, we're not acting by faith, and it's sin. So the strong person is free. They're acting in faith. Paul has affirmed them in that. The weak person would not be acting in faith if they ate in their current state. And Paul says, that's the risk you run, strong. That's the risk you run. It's causing someone to do what they can't do by faith. Therefore, they'll be condemned by that action. Their relationship with the Lord will be damaged their conscience will bear witness against them because they're not acting in faith. Now, again, we throw out some practical um, what this looks like today because when we talked about this last week, I said, you know, typically over the decades, the way this has looked is it's alcohol. It used to be, should I watch PG, PG-13, rated R movies? Um, you know, can I dance? Can I go to, you know, music Halls. I'm trying to use the language of decades ago, right? I know we don't call them music halls now, right? Um, you know, it, it was those kinds of things which were true to the culture, right? Some of those are still true to some cultures. Paul's specific example is about eating meat or not to eat meat. And that's still relevant for people today in some circles, right? I threw out some examples last week, you know, that we should consider, right? What does it look like to have freedom and alcohol is still one of them. So I want to just use a, a brief example for me, my life. When I was uh, 22 was the first time I had ever had a sip of alcohol. It was 22. So it was legal, right? right? So I never had that problem growing up of drinking alcohol. And when I went to a party, and I was 22 years old, I knew there would be drinking. Now, I had been to parties where there had been drinking. And I just chose not to drink. I didn't, I didn't need to, didn't want to. Um, I just chose not to. I remember going to that party knowing that I was going to have a decision to make. And I had to, I had to, I had to think through and pray through, is this, the, is this an okay decision? Is it a right decision? Now, some of you will disagree with my decision, but I chose to drink. I remember the very first alcoholic drink I had at that party. I was 22 years old. It took me three hours to drink it because I nursed that baby because <laughs> I was not taking any risks. No risks at all. 
right? And so um, I, I just remember having to go through, am I free to do this? Yes, I'm free to do this. What's the limit? Well, the limit is that level of drunkenness, so that level where I start to get impaired. Okay, then I had to think through, who's my audience? Who am I around? Like, all of that went through my mind. That's the kind of, kind of thing we have to do when it comes to matters of opinion. What's, what am I free to do? Is this something that's addressed by God on a black and white issue? Does God say that sin, or does he not, or does he leave room? A lot of missionaries have to work through this when they go to other cultures, right? In fact, outside of the U.S. and outside of countries that have been largely influenced by the U.S., keeping with the example of alcohol for a minute, one of the things missionaries have had to do over the years is figure out how do they deal with cultures where drinking alcohol is normal, and it's just part of what they do at every meal. England, uh, Germany, uh, European countries where it's normal after church, you go and you, you drink alcohol while you're eating your meal. We're not talking about drunkenness, right? So missionaries have had to navigate this throughout the years, and some missionaries choose to say, we're going to abstain, and others say this is part of the culture and we can participate because we're free. It's missionary type of thinking to think about how do I best minister in the context of this culture? How do I pursue unity and what's permissible for me? And do I have to or do I not? And the key is going to ultimately boil down to this. Whatever is not done by faith is sin. If you can't make a decision on something that's, that's a gray area and do so in faith, then you abstain from whatever it is until you're able to do it by faith. Some of you have made decisions and you have not made them out of faith. And we're talking like things that don't really matter when it comes to things of the Lord. Like, what job will I have? What school will I go to, right? You, you, those things, it doesn't matter in the big picture, that God, God can use you wherever you want. What's the will of God? The will of God is that you would make disciples of all nations wherever you are. The will of God is that you would live out your beliefs wherever you are, regardless of your job, regardless of the school that you go to, right? That doesn't matter. But some of you, maybe you've made some decisions about those kind of things, and it wasn't from faith. It was instead from what will benefit me or what's best for my career, that's where this kind of thing starts to come into play for us, where, where if we're broadening the application, we say Paul's calling us to live by faith. And there are things we're free to do. It, it, there's certain things that don't really matter one way or the other. How do we navigate that? There's going to be differences of opinion. I'm free if I can make that decision by faith, and it's not sin. But sometimes I may need to lay down my freedoms for the sake of unity, or as I put it up here, practicing Christian liberty must be governed by love for Christians. That's, that's what I need to operate on. So I don't know that this is necessarily a weighty message. It doesn't necessarily feel too weighty to me this morning. Um, it certainly has relevancy and it certainly impacts the way we live. And, and, I, and I hope the Lord's showing you and giving you specific examples. I'm intentionally refraining today from more specific examples. Um, I'm hoping you're thinking through some of those. And what I would challenge you is, as you're thinking about these issues, the question you need to be asking is, is this addressed in the scripture? Does God address this somewhere? Whether directly or by principle. And after I've wrestled through that and I've decided, no, he doesn't necessarily go one way or the other on this, then I start to ask, am I free to do this? Do I, am I operating by faith if I do this? Am I gonna cause someone else to stumble if I do this in this setting, right? That's what should be guiding us. And if we're guided by that kind of thing, then we're able to pursue unity and maintain unity on matters of opinion.